The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gillen. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Afternoons with Mike. Heard daily right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. On the line with me, Matt Staver from the Liberty Council. It is always great to have Matt back on, and thank you for being with me here today. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. Well, you know, this has been now a a whole year of wondering what in the world is going on with a lot of companies, Matt, with regard to the vaccine mandate that was passed out by the federal government affecting not only the military, but a lot of civilian life as well with hospitals and airports, airlines, uh, airline captains. Uh, I just had an opportunity recently to interview a, a captain with an airline, and uh, he is on like momentary standby, but he was one that kind of uh, resisted, I guess you could say, the uh, vaccine. And now uh, that uh, is no longer in some of these areas being enforced. What is the update from you on the vaccine mandates? Well, generally, the vaccine mandates are crumbling, uh, either because courts have blocked them and there's many court injunctions against them, or because they have now realized the the problem that they created with these mandates. So, for example, in the military, we now have class-wide injunctions against the Navy, Air Force, Space Force, and the United States Marines. We have some injunctions on behalf of members of the Army, no class-wide injunction yet, and no class-wide injunction yet on behalf of the Coast Guard. However, as a result of the National Defense Authorization Act that was passed in December of 2022, uh, that mandate has now been rescinded, so there's no more mandate going forward. The real question is, what about those individuals that have already been discharged from the military and those that have stayed in the military, but they've been pressured, abused, and frankly, they have had uh, black marks against their record because they requested a religious accommodation, and therefore some of their promotions have been interfered with, Mm -hmm. and that has a permanent problem for their future career. So we're still working on that. We're going to trial, scheduled to be in court beginning February 27th on our military case moving it from a preliminary injunction to a permanent injunction. So that's what's happening in the military. Uh, there is some discussion now with the Pentagon to pay back wages to those that were forced out and to even perhaps open up the opportunity for them to return. But we still need to make sure that those that have been passed over that are in the military, that their careers are not negatively affected it's been an abusive mandate. It has negatively affected recruitments. Recruitment is way down. People are not going into the military. Those people that are longtime service members, they're no longer recommending people to join. They otherwise have been the military's best recruiters. So it's been a real problem, and it's going to take a while to unwind this travesty that the Biden administration imposed on our brave members of this service. Within the private sector, We're seeing some of the mandates crumble. For example, a state judge in New York said that the governor overstepped her authority when she imposed the mandate. New York is now considering 
repealing its mandate uh, with regards to healthcare workers. We're litigating in Illinois, or I should say in um, Maine, over the same thing. We're filing a brief next week at the Court of Appeals, still litigating to block that healthcare mandate. For most of the employers, the federal mandates have been stopped by injunctions. The only one that has not been is the one involving healthcare workers, the CMS, for any healthcare facility that has Medicaid, Medicare, those uh, workers are under a mandate, but under that mandate, there is an option for a religious accommodation and a medical accommodation. However, in that respect, uh, we just won a $10.3 plus million dollar lawsuit against North Shore University Health System, a class action, the first of its kind in the country, because they refused to allow religious accommodations for their healthcare workers mm -hmm. in the state of Illinois. So we're making a lot of progress in that respect. We're working with many, many people around the country who have lost their jobs or they have been put under pressure to get these shots to make sure that justice is available for them as well, like we were able to bring justice for those in the North Shore case. And with regards to schools, most schools are not requiring it, but some schools are. We're still working with students. We're still working with people on transplant, uh, organ transplants, and we're getting different uh, entities to back down and or we're working with people to move from one state to another state to go where they can actually get an organ transplant without getting uh, these shots. Uh, it has been a real disaster, frankly. Um, what is now coming out day after day, week after week, more data in the United States and globally is that these shots are not safe, nor are they effective. And in fact, what we now know is that the most recent Omicron variant Guess who's the most susceptible to get it? Those people who have been those who have received the shots, not those that are not unquote vaccinated, but those that have received the shots. And the reason for that is the shots, uh, they, they interrupt your innate immune system. So you're more susceptible to getting COVID and COVID variants, which we're seeing that now, but you're also more susceptible to develop cancers and other kinds of conditions uh, in addition uh, to you know getting COVID, so they've been a disaster, frankly, and they need to stop. And uh, we need to never go down this road again. Well, that's a great question because you know the the road that was not covered, that was not walked upon, would be the what would have been the traditional testing period for a vaccine like this that was going to be under such wide distribution. I, I think back, uh, the you know sometimes the trials would be a couple of years on a vaccination. And we know that this one was put on the fast track. And I think we were all told as stuff that is proven to be not accurate. And the chief of which would be that famous statement, which you almost see now scrubbed from the internet where president Biden says, get the vaccine and you won't get COVID. That was what he basically promised. And that is proven to be a statement n not containing any truth, right? Right. Absolutely. You know, um, it's been a real national disaster. And actually for vaccines, typically 
you have 10 to 12 to 15 years of development and testing, five years of which is testing. So if you had put uh, these shots into the typical five year of testing after you develop it, five year of testing, and you look at all the different kinds of people that otherwise would get the vaccine, whatever it may be, what you would have done uh, very early on is this, uh, none of these COVID shots would have seen the light of day. They would have all failed in the testing phase. You know, we're right now in the first uh, EUA shot was Pfizer that came out in December of 2020. Then mm -hmm. the second one was Moderna and then Johnson and Johnson early 2021. So we're only two years into the rolling out of these shots. And what you are seeing now, people that suddenly drop dead. Uh, the infertility, the miscarriages, uh, the stillbirths, uh, the conditions that are developing. All of those would have been easily discovered early on, and they would have torpedoed these shots. Mm -hmm. and, and that has happened before with a lot of uh, vaccines that were developed, and they would find out early on in the testing phase that uh, it had an adverse affection. And back in the day when right. I think a lot of people would have a little bit of trust with the CDC or with the government, uh, th th that's no longer there right now because it's almost as if these findings came out, Matt, and yet the officials, in some ways, it seems they doubled down on the requests. Yeah, yeah, they did. In fact, you know, the uh, FDA wanted 75 years to release the documents that they had from Pfizer. Now we know why they wanted 75 years. The court did not agree with that public records request, the FOIA request, because in those documents, it showed a wide variety of safety problems, efficacy problems, all of which, if they would have been honest, they would have never approved the very first one. Uh, even in the very short truncated clinical trials that were only partially done on certain segments of people, they were having serious problems already, none of those should have reached the emergency use authorization period. None of mm -hmm. them should have seen the light of day. And the FDA wanted to hide that. Uh, that information is coming out. More Pfizer documents are being released uh, because of these public records requests. And it's a shocking reality that um, the FDA and the CDC, frankly, lied to the American people. They've distorted information, they've suppressed information, they've withheld information that otherwise is very beneficial. Um, and it is a life and death situation. It, it is a very serious situation. I think there needs to be some real investigation of the CDC and the FDA and the people that abuse their authority for pushing these shots. You know, they're in league with the pharmaceutical companies. Many of the committees are people that are in connection with the pharmaceutical companies. They have monetary a benefit from the pharmaceutical companies. They ought to be investigated and they ought to be held accountable. I agree completely. And yet we're seeing a, a, a media that is kind of complicit with this. There's still ads going out, public service announcements going out on a lot of mainstream medias that would make it feel like this is the right thing to do, the safe thing to do. And we're finding out more and more just the opposite. Now on the kind of the attitude about the vaccine, if I could address this for a moment, when the recent incident happened where the cardiac arrest happened to the football player, Damar Hamlin, when that happened, Charlie Kirk brought out, now he's a media spokesperson. He's a believer he has a wide range of impact and influence in the 
especially in the colleges in America. And he basically just made a comment wondering about the uh, tie-in to to whether or not this could even have been caused, let's say, from this vaccine. He was skewered in the media. One person basically said of Charlie Kirk, called him human garbage, uh, that he would ever say something like that. Are you seeing this kind of widespread vitriol against anybody who would even dare question the vaccine? Yeah, you know, for example, if you have someone that is driving on the uh, interstate or the highway and they have an auto accident, you know, the public has a right to know whether or not that person was intoxicated. The papers, uh, newspapers, the media, they'll print, well, the person was intoxicated or they were not intoxicated. Um, You have a right to be able to know that. That's an information that affects all of us. You have a right to be able to ask the question whether someone drops dead suddenly, falls down suddenly, whatever, has a rapid onset of cancer that wasn't there before. We're seeing rapid onsets of cancer and myocarditis. Uh, We're seeing young people. You you have a right. In fact, we have a necessity to ask the question, did you receive these shots? When did you receive them? Was it a booster? We have a right to be able to ask that question. But these people that want to censor you, they want to attack the messenger because they can't attack the message. They don't want to hear the consequences of the fact that they have been advocating for something that's frankly dangerous and that's killed people and harmed them. So they want people to literally be silent. That is completely contrary to our fundamental freedom to be able to speak and inquire. But that's why you have to ask, you know, just that alone, the visceral reaction, the the terrible pushback and the demonization of people by just asking a question really kind of gives you the answer. Uh, what are they trying to hide? What are they, why are they so adamant that you can't even ask a question? I think that really speaks volumes. I agree. It does. And you know, Matt, I think back to a conference that I attended, and this would be June of 2021. It was the Liberty Pastors Conference in Orlando. And you were there, and you also had along with you a doctor, a lady who was a a bit of an expert on this whole subject. And you were speaking out back then, and this would have been at a time where I know, I'm sure you took on a lot of criticism back in that time, maybe even for being like like a conspiracy theorist for holding on to those kinds of thoughts and really teaching on this subject as you did. And and now it's proven that what you were saying in 21 in drawing serious concern about this vaccine was actually spot on. What have you or this good doctor that you had along with you found as additional information or evidence? <laughs> It's hard to even begin to answer that question because it's a volume, it's a mountain of information. It's a a tidal wave that seems to come in weekly of new information. All of it, however, supports the original position that I had that some of these doctors like the one you were talking about presented, despite the fact that, yeah, we were misrepresented, we were vilified, people thought, you know, you were creating some kind of whacked out conspiracy theory. You know what? Uh, the fact is all those so-called conspiracy theories, which I hate that term. Yeah, that's I do just too. A term people use to silence someone without analyzing the substantive issue. 
uh, all of that turned out to be true. I mean, we when we were going back to 2020, uh, we were the first in the nation to push back against the uh, restrictions on churches and places of worship. We litigated that, and that began in March of 2020, believe it or not, yeah. very end in April 2020. In April of 2020, we warned about uh, vaccine passports that would be coming in April of 2020. In the early fall, September of 2020, we warned about these new shots that they were developing uh, because we were concerned, and this was before we even knew the, the consequences of what was happening in the clinical trials because they were kept pretty much secret. But we, we knew this is a mRNA. That's uh, never been done before. Let's look at what they did before when they tried mRNA. Well, it didn't work very well, and they stopped it. They never deployed it on humans. They never got past the animal testing on a different kind of um, testing, but it was mRNA-based because the animals were dying. And by the way, uh, how can you be uh, assured of safety and efficacy when you're only going to test this for a couple of months, uh, when the typical time is five years? I mean, you would never know what happens after six months, 12 months, two years, three years, five years. You don't know the consequences of it. So this is like really playing Russian roulette. We raised some major concerns as early as September 2020. And then as we saw the rollout of Pfizer in the middle of December 2020, and then the stats were coming out pretty uh, quickly on the VAERS, it was like, oh, my goodness, uh, this is really bad in terms of the adverse effects, adverse events that are happening, especially when you compare them to how many people um, have been logged on VAR since 1990 having adverse events from other vaccines. Uh, this one is skyrocketing way beyond that uh, previous history going back to 1990. Wow. Matt Staver, thank you for being with us today, bringing us up to date on all of this. We wish you the best and thank you for doing the fight. Thank you for withstanding the visceral and being vilified for what you believe in and what is being proven to be true. And you were right on. And so we thank you for that. Thanks for being with me today as well, Matt. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. God bless. Back in a moment with Reggie Littlejohn. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back here for segment two, uh, a return guest and a perfect follow-up to our first segment today with Matt Staver. On the line with me is Reggie Littlejohn. She's up in the Maryland area right now in uh, the frozen chosen north. <laughs> it's been cold up there this year. Reggie is the president of the Women's Rights Without Frontiers and also co-chair of the Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force. Now that's a mouthful. You do a lot of work. Reggie, welcome back to my program. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. It's great to be back. Well, it is always good to have you on the line and talk about these things. I know you're very busy, and, you know, this whole thing that's going on in our country right now, it, it's really shocking. It, it 
in some ways, it, it caught everybody by surprise. I think we believed, we trusted that two weeks was all that was needed to flatten the curve. And America bought in on that 2020, uh, not really a request, but a demand from the federal government. And since then, we've seen this thing ramp up in ways that would never have been imagined back in 2020, to the point of having these vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, the whole deal. Your your organization is really doing a good job of kind of making a wake-up call. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. So we're having a webinar um, today that is uh, Wednesday, January 18th, from 4.30 to 5.45 Eastern, and we're calling it Digital Gulag. The World Health Organization proposed amendments to the international health regulations. So how does that relate? It's actually very tightly to rela related to what you said. So you were talking about vaccine passports or vaccine mandates. In my opinion, <clears throat> and in the opinion of the Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force, these vaccine mandates are for the purpose of requiring vaccine passports or any other digital health ID like a smart health card, an Excelsior pass, it doesn't matter what you call it. The point, and, and by the way, also the um, digital driver's license, any mandatory digital ID, um, whether it's used to track vaccination status or, or whether you have a driver's license, can be used to support the China social infrastructure, China social credit system infrastructure, um, which is what we mean by the digital gulag. Okay, so the China the social credit system is a system by which the Chinese Communist Party tracks everything that uh, about a person, including you know their vaccine status. All right, which is why these mandates are so important. They give the excuse if it's a mandate; they give the excuse to track your status. Right. Mm. So they, they they your entire health history is on there. Your criminal history is on there. Your internet search history is on there your social media posts, your credit cards and your bank account. And they use all the, your internet spending history, they use all of these things together to come up with a number for you. And that number is your social credit score. So we, we're, we're aware of like financial credit scores. This is a, you know, how, how financially trustworthy, credit worthy you are. This is a social credit score. And in China it's used to determine um, whether you are a reliable Chinese Communist Party sheep. In other words, you, you obey all the rules, you don't make any noise, you don't oppose them, you don't embarrass them. You do all of that, you can, you can get a high social credit score and lead what looks like a normal life. But if you do oppose them or you do embarrass them, your social credit score will go down and they can do things like shutting you off from your credit card and your bank account. And the World Health Organization, you know, we've been talking about the United States, but we're talking about the whole world now. The World Health Organization mm -hmm. has come through with some proposed amendments to something called the International Health Regulations that would mandate vaccine passports or some kind of a surveillance system, not only in the United States, but worldwide under the pretext of protecting us from some kind of a health pandemic. And that passport can combine with central bank digital currencies, which the Biden administration, among many other 
governments is 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 either considering or rolling out those can be combined to create a digital gulag in other words a gulag like they have in the soviet union mm -hmm. was a physical gulag this is a digital gulag where you can be paralyzed because if you oppose the government like for example let's say you oppose vaccine mandates or let's say you even oppose the vaccines oh my goodness that could get you a low score and they could shut you off from your bank account or your credit card. And if people think that this can't happen in the West, it already has happened. It happened in Canada with the trucker strike mm -hmm. where the truckers and those who donated to them uh, found themselves suddenly cut off from their bank accounts and their credit cards. So we have to stop this. Now, you know, when you think about that, it has this must have Orwell rolling in the grave, right? I mean, it's Big Brother on steroids, and you're talking about uh, everything that would open the door to people's thoughts about the mark of the beast, of control, of not being able to buy or sell. Uh, all of these things have to do with with this proposal that if it were to be put into place, would kind of wrap everyone's ID, everything from their social security number, from their uh, their social media activity, uh, like you said, credit card, bank accounts, all of those things, and even uh, a kind of a, a surmisal of our statements about the government, whether we agree with it or whether they don't, we don't agree with them, then all of that would be kind of rolled in together, and out of that comes a score. And that score is, uh, it's got to be a certain level or we get shut down. That's what I'm hearing you say. But that's exactly right, Mike. And it's terrifying. And like you said, Orwell would be rolling over at his grave. I mean, these are the kinds of things that totalitarians in the past would only have dreamed of being able to, being able to do. And in terms of, you know, the mark of the beast and all of that, I remember reading the book of Revelation for the first time many years ago and reading about the mark of the beast and that without it, you can't buy or sell. And I thought to myself, now, that's odd. Now, why would that be the defining characteristic of the mark of the beast? Well, now I see why. Because if you can't buy or sell, if you're cut off from your money, you know you are utterly, utterly paralyzed and could possibly starve, as, you know, as a homeless person unless somebody takes you in. Um, and and the thing that's really concerning, Mike, is that the 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 um, rationale behind these digital pass, digital vaccine passports or um, smart health IDs, what any kind of digital ID on your smartphone, the, the, making it digital, the rationale behind that is that paper can be forged, mm -hmm. right? You, mm -hmm. can, you can forge a paper um, ID. Well, you know what? Digital IDs can be forged too. And is that going to be used as a rationale to have it be put in a chip in your hand or on your forehead? Yeah. I mean, that that is absolutely a foreseeable next step to all of this. Well, there are already that technologies happening. It's used with pets all the time. And basically, it would be a very easy thing to go subdermal on all of this and have all of that information. You can see it right now. The mark is in you, on your forehead, on your in your in your hand someplace, on your wrist. And boom, there we go. And they're keeping track of us in a digital way, all in the name of safety, all in the name of like, we're wanting to watch out for you, all of that. And yet it's really, truly bringing about a sense of control 
that is beyond what any of us could have ever imagined. Now, one of your panelists on this webinar today is Trevor Loudon. Uh, if yes. I, if, did I say his name right, Trevor Loudon? You said his name perfectly right. Okay, good. And uh, his topic is, is terrifying in itself, if, if you haven't already heard this, is the WHO, that's the WHO, the World Health Organization, are they an arm of the CCP? Now, friends, if you don't know what that is, that's a Chinese Communist Party. Uh, wow. What is that going to be like today when Trevor brings this word? Well, this is the thing. The Chinese Communist Party uh, has infiltrated basically almost the entire world and only almost every single aspect of our lives. Um, and it has infiltrated the World Health Organization. So. Tedros Ghebreyesus, who is the um, health, the director general of the World Health Organization, has very strong ties to the Chinese Communist Party. And the um, World Health Organization worked hand in hand with the Chinese Communist Party at the beginning of the pandemic to deny um, that there was human to human transmissibility, to say that it was, you know, a ra basically racist to stop accepting flights from China when they had the virus and nobody else did. Um, and to, and to say that the, that, the, that the lab leak theory was, was uh, laughable. And this is some kind of a zoonotic infection from, a, from a bat or from a pangolin. So they have a history of working very closely with the Chinese communist party and the world health organization is not the only one. I mean, the world health organization is an arm of the United nations and China is extremely um, influential. They have outsized influence. I mean, some people would even argue that they, that they control the United Nations. Um, and they do this through a variety of means, one of which is getting nations indebted to them. So there's a thing called the Belt and Road Initiative where they will loan developing nations or other nations a lot of money, like billions upon billions of, money, of dollars to establish an infrastructure like a port mm -hmm. or an airport or a, a rail line. And then when predictably that nation can't pay back the loan, China seizes the infrastructure. Well, they sure so have a lot have, of investment in the U.S., don't they? Well, they do. I, I don't think that we have succumbed to the Belt and Road Initiative. They do have tremendous, and we're we are invested in them too, in Wall Street, mm -hmm. you know. But um, but but a lot. But their Belt and Road Initiative has enabled them to establish infrastructure all over Asia and you know Africa for sure. So these countries, they aren't really free to oppose China at the United Nations or at the World Health Organization because so many of them are indebted to China. Well, there's a, even today an alarming story that's out uh, about the UN, the United Nations, and its leadership is so suspect right now, uh, along with WHO, the World Health Organization, and for that matter, uh, the CDC, because of just the, some of the decisions that have been made, statements that are out there, it really is coming down, isn't it, to a point where we're really questioning who can we trust? Well, right. And I'll tell you who we cannot trust, which is the World Health Organization. So what they're doing right now is, I think, appalling, which is they are negotiating these proposed amendments to the international health regulations 
in secret. Okay, so they have a, a working committee that has been working for months to come up with what they're going to propose. And they came out, they met all week last week. They, the, they were scheduled to release the report on Sunday. I think they did release it, but they didn't release it to the public. I think they released it probably just to the director general. So we have no idea of what they are proposing. Um, and I, and we, we, we can see what they did a compilation report where all of the uh, different proposed amendments by all the different countries were all compiled into one document. And um, but we don't know which of those they chose to actually make it through that committee and be proposed to the WHO. But I mean, I can tell you some of some of the ones that were in that document. Mm. Um, like, for example, one of the pro promote, proposed amendments would eliminate the requirement that the WHO consult with a nation like the United States before taking action on a report of a potential health concern within that nation. So what that means is that if there was an outbreak, let's say two people in the United States had monkeypox or something, the WHO could move in and, and just take over uh, the response to that without our consent. So, so this is a matter of sovereignty. Yes, it of is. National sovereignty. And, and that's the other thing I find appalling about this is that any challenge to national sovereignty is by definition like a treaty. And so they're they disguising what really amounts to a treaty as amendments to regulations. And because of that, it doesn't have to go through our treaty process. It doesn't have to go through the US Senate and, and obtain their advice and consent. It doesn't have to go through the treaty processes of all the other you know, 194 member nations. All it takes is a simple majority vote of the delegates to the WHO to establish things that they say is binding law. And if the Biden administration doesn't stand up against that, which they won't because they're behind a lot of this, then it will be binding law and, and these terrible things will come to pass. Wow. So what can people do right now? Uh, obviously, attending this webinar that is in just an hour, less than an hour from now. Well, what, it's in two hours. Uh, uh, well, I don't know what time you're going to air yeah, this. this so, will yeah, be aired. This will be aired today between 3 and 4 Eastern time. So, right, it's at 4.30 Eastern. Yeah, so, so it's just around the corner here for us, yeah. uh, you know, and it's about an hour away, and this thing is coming out. I mean, uh, it, it is concerning what you say about the administration because we know that rights right now are, are really sketchy in America. We would never have believed. I think our parents, our grandparents would never have believed we would be on the brink of giving away freedoms the way we're giving them away right now but this is this is like force giving away this is not volunteering it up like we did with uh, the two weeks to flatten the curve this mm -hmm. is something that is being done and it could be forced on our country right so what people can do is um if you wouldn't mind i would love it if you'd put a link to the webinar in the description i don't know if people can see that of course people are on the radio so um, it's stopvaxpassports.org. So that's www.stopvaxpassports.org. And there's two things you can do there. You can you can sign up for the register for the webinar, and then there's also a, a, a box that says take action. 
and you can sign up or um, put your information in to send a, an email to the people who are responsible at Health and Human Services, members of the Biden administration, and also your congressional representatives, mm -hmm. uh, that, you, that we don't want this. And it's, it's especially important to wake up your senators because if they knew that basically their job was being taken away, that their job is to approve or disapprove treaties, and they're not being allowed to, to do that because this mm. is just being passed as an amendment to regulation. Wow. Um, I, I believe we could stop it. If our Senate would stand up, I believe we could stop this whole thing in its tracks. Well, we pray that is exactly what they do. And that website, one more time. Okay. It's www.stopvaxpassports.org. Stopvaxpassports.org. Sign up for the webinar. Um, and even if you can't go to the webinar, sign up for it, because then if you if you don't go to it, then if you have signed up for it, we will send you the link, um, you know, after it's after it's over. Is there a charge for that? Oh, no, no. We're doing everything we can to just get the message out. We don't, we don't charge for any of this. This is amazing. Hey, listen, Reggie, thank you. We're out of time, but I want to thank you for what you're doing. And we'll, we'll check that uh, webinar out. And thank you so much for doing the, the hard work, the fight that you're putting up for us all. Thank you so much for having me on and helping me get the word out, Mike. You got it. And we'll be back in a moment with Audley McLean from Ocala. That comes up next on Afternoons EC with Mike. Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Time for segment three, and on the line with me, my dear friend from the Ocala area, Audley McLean. His voice is heard every day on The Shepherd, literally every day. Uh, he has a five-minute program called Words of Inspiration that happen on the uh, northern stations of uh, Ocala, WRZN, also in Gainesville, at WTMN, and it's a real honor to have Audley with me in this segment. Welcome back, my friend. It's the joy to be with you, Mike. You know, Audley, we were talking before beginning this recording, and I, I honestly thought you had crossed over uh, a big milestone age, and, and forgive me for being wrong, but I thought you had crossed the 80 mark and that you were an octogenarian, but I was mistaken. You are actually 91. Is that right? Yeah, nanogenarian, I guess it's called. Yeah. <laughs> a ninogenarian. Yeah. That, that, that works. I, I, I tell you what, buddy, I've been around you a lot. Uh, you do not, you do not, uh, you hold up very well. Let's just put it that way. You are just doing uh, great. And a real testimony to something. I don't know what it is, but you've done something right, my friend. <laughs> I can't or, believe or, it. Or, or I'm being punished in this world <laughs> by kept, being kept longer here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too great. Now, for people that might have missed our previous interviews, 
Uh, tell us a little bit. I know that you're from one of the islands. I know which one, but go ahead and share it. Yeah, I was born in Jamaica, not in Kingston, where most people boast of having come from. I was born up in the hill country where there is no beach nor any running water. We have to go to it. But I, I was born in, in the parish of Manchester and uh, the city of Mandeville. But I did have the dishonor, I mean, the honor of growing <laughs> up in Kingston. Okay. But you were born in the mountains. Now, if, if, if people haven't ever visited any of the islands in the Caribbean, they would not believe, I, I do think this is the accurate word, they would not believe how tall the mountains are on some of these islands. Wouldn't that be true for Jamaica? Jamaica is probably most so. It has, uh, for an island that's only 145 miles at its longest point and 45 miles at its widest point, and that's just one section. It narrows down on both east and west. We have a mountain peak, the Blue Mountain Peak, which is 74 hundred feet above sea level. Oh, that's oh. a sharp rise for that little area. There are three or four of the islands that are characterized by their mountains. Jamaica, St. Lucia, of course, Puerto Rico, and some of the other islands are not nearly as mountainous, but there is no place you can stand in Jamaica and not see some kind of a mountain. Isn't that something? And I, I, I don't think a lot of people would have that in their mind because when they think of Jamaica, they're going to think of the beautiful water, the beaches, yep. and all of that is there. But boy, oh boy, when you turn around and you look inward to the island, you see rising in the distance those mountain peaks. And I know I spent time in Haiti, and Haiti, I, if I'm not mistaken, oh. the, that word means mountains in its original yes. language. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. But, uh, the, you know, th these islands, they, they are just about as tall as they are long. Oh, yes, certainly true. Uh, I didn't mention Haiti because I didn't consider it a Caribbean territory. But, yeah, it's, it, 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 it qualifies. It does. It qualifies. Well, how is it that uh, you came from Jamaica to be able to be in the U.S.? and to do radio ministry. Give us, if you will, a reminder, a refresher on your background. Well, I, unlike most of the people who immigrate to the United States, I didn't come for economic advantage. Uh, I had that in Jamaica. I had my own business. Um, but I felt the call of God, and I, I need to qualified. I felt a call to come to work in the black communities. Uh, I had intended, I had a, a church that was being formed, offered to me in Beaufort, South Carolina, which wouldn't have been a major geographical shift. Um, but then I visited a brother in the city of Buffalo who had a storefront work and was trying to get it going, and I thought I'd go there first if the Lord continues to impress this upon my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I came, it, it was reversed. America sends missionaries to the 
mission field. Well, I came from the mission field to this mission field, and it still is, whether it's in the black community or in the white community or Hispanic community, we are still part of God's mission field. Yes, we so are. I, to make a long story, I wound up there to help Otis Stillman with the work planned in my agenda to be there no more than three years. For a, but I stayed for 35 years in Buffalo, New York. Oh, wow. <laughs> you remind me of uh, uh, my own life story because when my wife and I moved to Florida from Indiana, we honestly mm-hmm. thought oddly, that we were going to be here only two years. That was our plan. We were going to be down here for two years and receive the training that I needed to get uh, from uh, my dear friend who began our church in Orlando. And the Mm -hmm. goal was I was going to go back to Indiana and plant a church there. That was my goal. Uh, And that that was 1985 when we made that move. (laughs) So you see, yeah, yeah it, it happened to me too. Yes, and you know, we plan, and then God says, you know, I have an idea. To, you better try this. Yeah. Uh, I would never have chosen to live in Buffalo, coming from the salubrious climates of Kingston and Mandeville. But God planned, and it, it worked out mostly well, except for when I messed up. But God did some things, and we're grateful that some of the work continues till this day. Now, would you um, have been in Buffalo in the late 70s? Oh, yes. That's what I thought. I, I, got, there, I got there in 1965. Oh, my goodness. Well, you and know, I, I used to be... A... my own business, well, I, I thought, and, and I, st- I got there in 65, and I had my first radio program in 1966. Oh, because I I always felt that for a long time I felt that radio is was to me then the most effective way of reaching a, a large group of people. Yeah. Um, after I got saved in 1947, um, there was no things as Christian radio. In fact, Jamaica had one radio station and it was controlled by the government. Mm. I used to listen to shortwave radio from Quito, Ecuador. Um, the first Christian radio station in that hemisphere. And coincidentally, it was started by a Jamaican. British missionaries would come to Jamaica. Their family started HCJB in Quito, Ecuador. So we used to listen to it by shortwave. And I was so helped and impressed and got my first Bible lessons from that station. So I thought radio is probably where I ought to start here in this new territory. Isn't that something? Now, you were there. I used to do a weather show back in the late 70s in Indiana. And one of the guys from our TV station moved to Buffalo in the early part of 1977. And he got there his first weekend there. One of those lake storm snowstorms came, lake effect snowstorms came, and the snow went all the way up 
to the eaves of the homes, and he was in shock. He had just moved there, and what a welcome to Buffalo he had. There was no snowstorm like that one. I am told that the one we had recently compares with it. In that snowstorm, I was already in, I was, my, my, my life was uh, sometimes supported by a secular job. Mm-hmm. But at this particular point, I didn't have a secular job. I was full-time, and I was caught downtown, and my wife was about five miles away at her office, and I was able to get there, and that's where our journey ended. We spent 23 hours in a restaurant in the blizzard of 77. Oh, my goodness. Well, I remember it well. It affected us as well in Indiana. But, man, was it ever something for people up north and for you to hear that. Yeah, you go to a place, you think you're going to be there for a moment, and you get snowed in, literally snowed in, and you're you're hanging around for a while till the next day. Mike, you didn't ask me, but I can't let it go. I became a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. And so <laughs> for this coming Sunday, I'm saying, go Bills. Okay. Just, <laughs> I like that. I actually that. worked with the Buffalo Bills team as a semi-Bible uh, teacher. We had Bible studies with the group. There was a fine group of Christian men back in, the, in those days. And if I dare call a name, I had a certain now infamous great football player in my Bible study. Is that right? Yes, sir. And you can't call the name? Would you mind if I do? I don't mind at all. I had O.J. Simpson in church and in my Bible study. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and just, so I pray for him every day. Mm-hmm. I bet you do, yeah. Well, I tell you, this time is going by quickly. Give us, if you will, just kind of a thumbnail sketch of what uh, you're doing right now with Words of Inspiration and uh, your uh, ministry with Harvest. I know we've got a couple of minutes left, so yeah, go ahead and share that, if you will. Okay, yes, I'd love to. Harvest International is a, a really almost obscure to the world of missions, but they stand in the breach for about a dozen missionaries all over the world. And um, they handle their business affairs and so on and keep them supplied with office support. And more Harvest also sends, collects and sends food and clothing to people in distress in the mission areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, my program, the Boards of Inspiration, is just a five-minute chat about things that matter, I think. And in the weekly segment... The Bible Speaks. uh, The Bible Speaks, yeah, 15-minute program, we're talking about the questions that Jesus asked and what came out of them. So I invite you to listen in to me on each of these uh, segments, my dear friends who are hearing this discussion. Audley McLean, give us your contact information. It's uh, Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478, and on the web at harvestinternational.org. 
Oddly, it's uh, I'm the, no exaggeration here. I enjoy you. I think you're one of the dearest folks I've had the privilege to meet. And I really love talking to you. And we wish you continued good health. And uh, until the next time we're together here, brother, you have a good one. Thank you, Mike. And God bless you. And you. And friends, thanks for joining me as well. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music> 